Well, like I said before, um, welcome to Safe Haven. We, we are beginning a journey through the Gospel of Luke, and it begins today. <clears throat> and I, I want to kick off our time just by answering a couple of questions that you might have as we kick off Luke. One is this. The question will be, well, what got us to Luke? Why Luke? Why did we, why did we fall upon Luke? <clears throat> I can assure you that at Safe Haven... Um, we didn't just grab the Bible and just kind of let it fall open, and that's where we landed. Now, I know Safe Haven has the, the moniker, if you will, or, or maybe the, the stigma of sometimes we may or may not fly by the seat of our pants. <clears throat> and that is true a lot of times, but not in this case. Um, every book of the Bible that we go through is calculated, it's well thought out, it's prayed through, the elders think through it, and, and strategy. So what got us to Luke? <clears throat> well, if you'll remember a couple of years ago, we began Genesis. And we went through the book of Genesis. And, and when we did, we learned about how all things came to be. How literally all things, men, women, marriage, um, races, ethnicities, um, all that kind of stuff. We, we went from the creation of all things to how they became warped. And at the end of Genesis, this hope of maybe that warped uh, reality could be restored. And, and so that's kind of where we ended there. And... Um, the only man that the only way that, that man would ever find a right restored relationship with God would be that God had to come to man, and so that's kind of where we left Genesis. So after Genesis, we were like, well, what do you do with that? Well, you got to go to Exodus. So we went through the book of Exodus, and the book of Exodus. Then, how did God instill a plan? How did He choose a people and a specific plan to bring about the redemption that Genesis left us kind of lingering with? Is man? Is there a possibility that we could be in a right relationship with God? And so God ultimately does come down, sets up shop in a tent, the Holy of Holies, because, again, man could not go to God. So that's where we left Exodus. So we ended Exodus, and we thought, man, is there a book of the New Testament that really ties both of those things together? And Hebrews. So we went to the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews, we studied and saw how the Old Testament redemptive plan was fulfilled in the New Testament personal work of Christ. That got us to Hebrews, and we saw the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature fulfilled in Christ. All of these things. And and, and this beautiful verse, um, after making purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. And so we know that the redemption plan had been fulfilled in this broad scope spectrum. And so we looked at that. And then we thought, all right, what gospel have we not gone through yet? Now, that's not what we did. Um, although Luke is the only gospel we've not gone through as a church verse by verse. And, and this will be the last one. Um, and so then we come to Luke. And Luke is unique in that it has this intense gaze into the person and work of Christ. The one who fulfilled all of those things. And so we're just going to kind of sit there. And and so I guess what I'm trying to say is for over a year, we studied the overarching plan, grand narrative of redemption. And now for over a year, we'll we'll not go to that big spectrum, but kind of go directly into the personal work of Christ and see how did he walk daily? How did he talk daily? How did he live his life out? So not how did he accomplish it fully, that's the big, but just... Like, who was he? Who was this guy that pulled off the plan? Does that make sense? So that's kind of where we got. And so we're going to spend a lot of time doing that, as mentioned before. It is. 
It is 81 weeks on the schedule right now. Uh, That means that if you have a baby today, that baby will almost be two by the time we finish the Gospel of Luke. It will have gone through two Christmases and two Easter's, right? Uh, So uh, we're going to spend a lot of time in in Luke. We won't reference it like we have every week. In Hebrews, we kind of recap. We won't do that because that's not the way that Luke plays itself out. We'll just come together. We'll pick back up. Meaning, bring your friends. It doesn't matter what week they come into, Luke is going to speak. It's always talking about the personal work of Jesus. Invite people. Get ready. Get engaged. So... With that said, let's dive in, not to the text yet, but to another question. The question I think may come after that is, well, who is Luke? Like, who is that guy anyway? All right, so I'm going to go through a couple of things. Number one, he's not a disciple. You need to know that, and a lot of people get that confused. He's not even a firsthand witness of the events of Jesus. We know that because Luke himself tells us that. He's, he, he is one that had to do investigation. So he's not that. Um, he was actually a Gentile, and, and he wrote in the 60s. Now, when I say 60s, I'm not talking about Chubby Checker and the Twist 60s. I'm talking about the 60s, right? No one nine, one eight, one nothing. The 60s, okay? So this is when he lived, the true 60s. There was no poodle skirts back in the... I don't know, maybe they sewed it on their robe that... Okay. Um, so, so he was not a disciple. Um, he was a physician. We know that he was a physician because Paul tells us in Colossians that he was a physician. Luke doesn't tell us anything about himself. But as a physician, like today, he was well-studied, he was well-educated, and primarily as a vision, physician, he was well-disciplined. Uh, so this is the type of person that he was. Um, his, his mind was such that um, he could think through things systematically. And so we know this from him being a physician, but also because tell, Paul tells us that. And Paul tells us also not only a physician, but he was a theologian. He was a theologian. The reason I say that is because Paul several times again in his writings talks about how mature Luke was and how people should follow the writings and thinking of Luke. So he was well known as a, as a theologian. And I think you'll see as we go through the Gospel of Luke that everything is very systematic. It's, our study group um, has been studying through this together for the past five weeks, outlining it together. And and it's just fascinating the way that he places things in very odd places. For instance, it's not coming, and I won't tell you the week. Well, I guess I can tell you because you'll forget. It'll be sometime in 2025. Um, There's a passage in Luke where he addresses divorce. Well, where he places it is stuck right in the middle of bashing the Pharisees. And you would think that's a very odd place... No other gospel writer puts things quite like Luke does. And the reason he puts it there is because he's actually bashing the Pharisees about their beliefs. And and so it's just fascinating the way that he systematizes everything. He was a theologian. Uh, And then finally, I'd say this. He was a detailed historian. Detailed meaning this is the longest book in the New Testament. And many of you guys know Luke was part one of volume two. Volume two being what? Acts, yeah. They go together. As a matter of fact, most commentators uh, believe that they really were just one giant compilation together. So not only is Luke the longest book in the New Testament, but if you take Acts and put it with it, Luke wrote more than anybody else in the New Testament. 
He wrote more than Paul. He wrote more than anybody, if you combine those two together. So he was very detailed, and he was a historian. It is well-respected, even by pagans, uh, that this is one of the finest historical accounts ever written um, in um, ancient history. So this is who he is, and he tells us he took undertook the task of compiling, and we'll see this in just a second of the text, an orderly account. So I want to get into the question, well, why? Why did he write the orderly account? This is not going to be on the screen above, but personally, I believe that Luke and Acts were written as a defense document for Paul's trial that was to come up at the end of the book of Acts. Now, I did not come up with that on my own. Obviously, you know me. Um, so, so there's a guy, and, and his name is uh, John Malk, and he wrote a book called Paul on Trial. And if you're into things like this, I would highly encourage you to go read that book. It's just fascinating. And it has to do with Theophilus, who we'll talk about in a second. Luke wrote to this guy named Theophilus, and it's called Most Excellent Theophilus. And, and, and so the argument is that he would have been Paul's lawyer. Theophilus would have been Paul's lawyer. And so Luke writes two accounts basically uh, saying everything that Paul is saying is no different than Judaism, which is why he was being put on trial. They were accusing that Paul was teaching something totally different, and so therefore he had to stand trial. And so Luke was writing Luke and Acts to say, this guy's teaching nothing different. Here's a documentation and an orderly account. Theophilus would have taken that and used it in his court case. Pretty fascinating, huh? So... I think that's why he's writing it personally. You can disagree with that. That's fine. But interestingly enough, um, this word most excellent is only used three times in the Bible in the New Testament. And every time it does indeed refer to a Roman governor or somebody of high esteem in, in the Roman political system. So it's pretty fascinating that it's used of Theophilus. Certainly he's formally recognized, known, important. And then contextually, we all should agree on this. This book along with Acts, articulates the certainty of Christ events. That's it. So if you're like, Troy, I don't know about that whole lawyer thing that seems like a conspiracy theory. Well, welcome to my world. I am quite the conspiracy theorist. Um, But we can agree on the whole point was to say, man, you can trust every single thing that is ever said about Christ and his work and redemption for us. The certainty of that. He was the fulfillment of the redemption plan. We can rest in that. So that's where it's at. So what's unique about the Gospel of Luke? This is just some fun nuggets. Um, It is definitely a unique length, no doubt. Church, I can't emphasize this enough. This is a long book. Long book. So as we're going through it, um, if there are are some of us that don't make it through the book... (laughs) Hopefully the next generation will just pick it up and carry it along for us. So it is a long, long book. Um, So it's unique in its length. It's unique in its events leading to Christ's birth. A lot of you guys know this because you read Luke every single Christmas. And there's a reason you read Luke every single Christmas. Because it's the only one that has certain accounts in it. So uh, you find Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's only found in Luke You find the Annunciation of Mary, where Gabriel comes to Mary. This is found only in Luke. So it's unique in that. There's some unique events leading up to, or in Christ's life. If it weren't for Luke, we would not know the song, Zacchaeus was a... 
And we, you see, you wouldn't have been able to sing that without Luke. Um, Zacchaeus is only found in Luke. Uh, the, the penitent thief on the cross, the redeemed thief on the cross, only found in Luke. Um, not only that, but the d- two disciples on the road to Emmaus, only found in the Gospel of Luke. So there's some unique things in his life. There's some unique parables. The rich man and Lazarus, only found in Luke. The Pharisee and the publican might be my favorite parable in all of the Bible. Um, and the prodigal son, only found in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, so there's this whole theme of lost and found, lost coin and found, lost pearl and found, lost son and found. There's just this resounding hope in Luke. And then there's a unique language, all right? I'll tell you up front, it is one part savage. Savage. If you have a potty mouth, Luke's your boy, all right? Um, he uses manure at least three or four times, <laughs> right? And so some of you are like, I love Luke, my guy, you know. It's one part savage, uh, meaning this, as we were going through this, and Barb can attest to it, re- there's just a lot of, some really strong, pointed tone to Luke. Um, he doesn't mince words. Um, he's that guy. And in saying that, everybody in this room that, that kind of, dives into the dark side, my wife being the chief of these, um, who loves murder podcasts. All you people in here that love murder podcasts, number one, you need help. Okay? You need help. Number two, I keep telling you, if, I, if I'm dead, she did it. Okay? Get her podcast records and you'll find the hole that I'm stuck in in Mississippi somewhere. Okay? So, but if you dive into the dark side, that have that emo about you, Luke is one part savage, okay? He's, he's definitely this. But he's also one part love. As a matter of fact, the word rejoice is used more in Luke than anywhere else in the Bible. It's just this unique anomaly of these two things together. Um, so yes, budding psychos, you're going to love it. <laughs> and, and people who just have love, who want to love well. You're going to love this book. It's really going to be good. Um, so with that said, y'all ready to dive into the book? You've talked about it enough, Troy. Let's dive into it. Here we go. It'll be on the screen above. Verses 1, 1 through 4 today. Inasmuch as many, and we'll pause there. In other words, what he's saying is I'm not alone in doing this. You can have certainty in the work of Christ because I'm not the only one writing this. There's mutual agreement, there's widespread agreement on these details. I'm not, I'm not rogue fantasy daydreamer who's just out here wishing for something. Many people have written about this. So inasmuch as many, I'm not alone, have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. In other words, not only am I the only one that's not the only one writing about it, but... All these things have been accomplished that you've seen it with your five senses. We've tasted it. We've touched it. We've smelled it. We've seen it. We've heard it. This is as sure as the table that I'm touching right now. All these things have been accomplished just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So you can have certainty in the work of Christ because I'm not the only one talking about it. 
I'm not the only one that's seen it, tasted it, touched it, heard it, smell it. And then, because there's just been this fantastic oral transmission and investigation that's gone on as it's been handed down. Detail after detail. The word have been delivered to us. Let me give you an example of this. This is how detailed Luke is. Luke talks about Mary. And you'll remember this. Gabriel comes to Mary, tells her everything, and then this fascinating line that you may never have thought about. It says this, that Mary treasured and did what? Do you remember? Pondered, thought about, chewed through these things in her heart. How does anybody know what Mary pondered in her heart? Unless you talk to Mary. You investigated with Mary. You sat down with Mary. You said, hey, Mary, tell me about these events. And then Mary says, well, hey, here's what happened. I'm just hanging out, making some coffee. This angel pops up. (laughs) He freaks me out, tells me don't be afraid. And I'm like, you're an angel. Why would I not be afraid? Mary, tell me more about that. She says, all these things happen. The details happen. He tells me about Jesus. He tells me about Joseph. He tells me about Elizabeth and Zachariah. He tells me about all of these things. And then he goes, well, how'd that make you feel? And she says, Luke... I just, I treasured that. I, I just pondered these things over and over and over. And Luke goes, that's good stuff. Mary pondered these things in her heart. It's, you can be certain because of the details in this book. And then not only that, he says this, verse 3, And it seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely, so you can be certain because of this Close, careful, surgical precision. And I use that word surgical on purpose because, again, he's a what? He's a doctor, so he's he's detail-oriented. For some time past, to do what? To write an orderly. This is not a chronological book. It's, it's, It's based in systematic, thematic. To write an orderly, organized account so we can have assurance and certainty of Christ's work because of this orderly account. And... When he says things like orderly, there's some of us in this room who may or may not deal with OCD. We just love that word, don't we? Uh, If you are OCD, Luke is our brother. He is our brother. He is our friend. We can walk hand in hand and clean things with him, okay? He, too, counts steps. Yeah, If you walk in that back hallway, there's 20 if you walk straight up taking two steps on the middle platform. If you only take one, there's going to be 19, just letting you know. He's our OCD brother, all right? But he writes this orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus. So it's written to this Theophilus. Again, I will argue lawyer. I think it's fair, and I'll go ahead and better even go and say this so Dan don't come up to me afterwards and go, Troy, you should have said this. The other, another idea of Theophilus would mean it, it literally does, those two words means friend of God. So some people argue that Luke was writing to generic friends of God. Anybody that's a friend of God, he's writing to encourage them. So maybe I should throw that out there. Personally, I think this is a a person just because, again, I don't know why you would say most excellent friends of God. That doesn't seem to fit to me. Most excellent seems to be a title of somebody specific. Again, that's just me. Um, But number four, um, that you may have what? Certainty. That's what the book's written for. I wrote these things so that you can be certain, not wishful daydreaming, that you can have rock-solid assurance concerning the things that you have been taught. In other words, I write this book 
Because I want to convince you and anyone you talk to about the life-altering, the life-changing, the earth-shattering, and the heaven-opening power of the gospel through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's why I wrote it. That's why I wrote it. So we made it through today. And there may be a lot to worry about on earth. But if you're a believer in this room, you shouldn't have one single worry about your restored relationship with the Father if you're trusting in the person and work of Christ. That's why he wrote the book. You can worry about all kinds of things. Did you burn the roast? Did you burn the bread? Did you burn the... what? Obviously, we burn a lot of things in our house. Did you burn the pizza? Did you... You can worry about a lot of things, but if you're a believer, the book of Luke over and over is going to say, man, you should have assurance. Christ is who he said he was, and he did what he said he was going to do. You can trust this. And so now when I say this about restored relationship, I'm not, I'm not saying that the gospel of Luke is how we get saved. And that's a warped perspective of the gospel in our culture. Our culture is heavy on justification, meaning Jesus is how you get saved. And he is. No doubt about it. Okay? But justification is like a small portion of the gospel. The gospel is also what sanctifies us. It's what keeps on going. It's what changes life. It's what changes marriage. It's what changes work. It's what changes hobbies. It's what changes things. And so he's writing this to say, listen... Jesus is how you get saved. As a matter of fact, the word salvation for all is used a ton in Luke, exclusively. Okay? So you need to know that. But he's not writing this just... But he's writing so that you can be certain that placing your faith in Christ really does change here and now. Not just then and there. It's the fullness of the gospel is why this is going to be written. In other words, a lot of people go to church to hear tips on how they can... Be better, do better, think better, pay better, eat better, whatever. I go to church so I can hear these life hacks on how to be better. And Luke is just crazy enough to believe that it's not about that at all. That if you'll be enamored with the person and work of Jesus, all that other stuff will fall in line. He'll fix that. You focus on Christ. And so we're going to do that every single Sunday for a long time. Who is Jesus? You better walk out of here going, today we talked about Jesus. That's the answer to the test. If you want, here's, here's the answer key. For the next 81 weeks, what did you learn about in church? Jesus. That's it. You got an A. Good job. We're going to hand out uh, Charms Blow Pops in the back. You know, and it's, it's going to be just this great... Focus on Christ. and I mean, didn't John say it best? I must decrease. And he must increase. That's the whole point. As we focus on him, as the song says, the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So we're going to be enamored by him. Um, and, and we're going to stare at him for quite a while. So let's wrap it up. I believe God has us here, church, in our faith journey for at least five goals. Five goals that, that I hope for as we journey through this and then we'll be done. Number one, as we go through this book, 
Um, Goal number one is that we'll invest an intentional and calculated season of life just gazing at Jesus. I hope that every single week we hold up the flower of Jesus through Luke and like a bee, we'll come and this is the bee and we'll look at it from this angle and then the next week we'll look at him from this angle and then we'll look at him from this angle. And we'll just be like a bee that hovers around a flower and sees all the nectar that is the beauty of Jesus. We'll see that over and over and over and over. So I, I think that's goal number one. And it, because, again, I think I'm a puzzler. And, and if you're a puzzler, maybe this will... You know, every puzzle piece is different. <clears throat> but as you place it together and then you back up, you see this big picture, right? And I think that's what Luke is. That every week we will look... And the puzzle piece will look like Jesus, and we'll snap them all together, and then we'll back up and find out that the picture is just Jesus too. We'll see it over and over and over. And so I hope we do that. Um, And then number two, goal is is I think that um, we'll fall in love afresh and anew with the way that he acted, the way that he talked, the way that he walked. The way that he loved, the way that he spoke. And so personally in this, for me, I hope that I learned to love like Jesus loved. I need to love the poor better, and I need to love the rich better, and I need to love the hurting better, and I need to love the rejoicing better, and I need to love better. And, and I think we'll see Jesus loving well, and so I, I hope we love like him. I hope we handle truth like him. I hope we don't back down, that we will be rock solid, and we won't be shy about standing for truth. Buddy, he didn't. Jesus didn't have a problem looking at somebody right in their eyeballs and say, you are a whitewashed tomb, you're a snake, you are a viper, you are a serpent, right? So anybody in these little gusto, we're going to be challenged by Jesus in that, to stand for truth rigidly and not back down. But also unparalleled grace to walk up to somebody and go, hey, I don't hold sin against you. Go sin no more. Be free. <laughs> this crazy balance of love and grace. I hope we learn that um, to speak like he spoke and to leverage life for the Father's glory. I hope we learn that. That's the goal. And then goal number three, that we'll see that Jesus didn't birth a religion, but he birthed a relationship. He didn't come to launch Christianity. He came to fulfill the redemption plan of the Father. And hope we see that afresh and anew. He didn't come to give us more to-do list on the law. The Old Testament gave us plenty of things to do. He didn't come to give us more to do, but he came to fulfill everything that had to be done because he knew we wouldn't fulfill it. Man, I hope we get enamored by that. And then number four, goal is, is I think that we will do well if, if we attempt to persuade everyone attending, listening online, or in the water cooler conversations that are going to happen on Mondays, that the life message and hope of Jesus Christ is true and certain. Man, I hope that happens in our hearts. I hope that it stirs us to walk out of these doors and to boast in how excellent Jesus is. That's the goal. And then I also have a number five, which is not quite so spiritual, uh, but the goal is to follow the outline... <laughs> And I say that is a loose goal, okay? It's to follow the outline, but also to allow for freedom and to trust the Holy Spirit. 
if an interruption is needed, then we got to be okay with that, all right? So, there were a lot of people that when we posted that outline out there, that you got so excited because outlines are frankly your love language. You got giddy, you got, like, it, it, it overjoyed. Now, some of y'all saw that and you stressed out. <laughs> you passed out and you're like, what on earth is going on? Okay, I love an outline, uh, but we got to be okay with trying to follow that outline, but also holding it loosely. So as things happen, things happen in our community or our church, sometimes we may need to shift. Uh, now, we still, we've, we will be doing a, a marriage miniseries and parenting miniseries and mental health miniseries. And there'll be Easter miniseries and Christmas mini. There's a lot of miniseries that will be along the way. But our goal is to, to follow that outline, but yet hold it loosely and just trust uh, that the Holy Spirit is guiding us. I'm going to be honest with you, all right? I'll go ahead and say this now so I don't have to say it later. There's going to be weeks that I will be preaching things that I do not enjoy, like, or want to be preaching. You need to know that. And you'll typically know because I'll just pawn it off on somebody else to preach that. (laughs) I'm already looking forward to some of these going, man, I... Uh, Julie Beth, hey, are we going to be gone specifically on November the 29th? (laughs) Uh, uh, And there's going to be weeks that you'll be hearing things that you don't necessarily crave. Um, But the Holy Spirit owes us no apology for what he's written in his holy word. And he holds us no apology, owes us no apology for his sovereignty on why we are here on the specific Sunday that we landed on in that book. So tie your boots up, tighten up your belt, and put on your big boy panties. All right? And we're going to journey through this together. The Holy Spirit isn't asking for our input as to what we think about his divinely inspired word. The Holy Spirit is just bidding us to come and feast wherever he has us in the Gospel of Luke and whatever he serves up on the platter that week. So, with that said, if I ever fail to fillet open the Word on a Sunday morning and point us to Jesus, hear me, and, I, and I'm not kidding when I say this, Go that Sunday to an elder and say, something's wrong. Get him out. We got to crave the scripture in that way. If I ever fail to fillet open the word, it's time for me to go. I mean that seriously. Why? Because we can't come up with anything better than what he's already given us. Amen? We can't come up with anything better. Let's let his word penetrate us exactly where we need it on the weeks that we need it. So with that said, band's coming back up. Study ahead. Bring your Bible. Um, get, a, get a journal. Journal as we go along, and you will have written a commentary on the Gospel of Luke as the Spirit's led you through this journey together. And let's let Jesus blow wind in our sails um, to boast in his glory. Amen? That's Luke 1, 1 through 4. Only 80 weeks left. Let's pray. (laughs) Lord Jesus, I'm excited. I'm excited just to hang out in the God. (laughs) 
God, I'm excited about just the focus on, on you for an extended, calculated period of time. Just that, that men, women, boys, and girls in our church will be able to look back and go, hey, for two years I gave my life to focusing on Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And we'll see that as valuable. We just hung out in your word and let it bathe over us and wash over us. And Jesus, I pray as we look into your eyes and as we look at what your hands did and as we look where your feet walked and as we look at the breath that came out of your mouth and and how you interacted and how you balanced truth and grace, God, I pray that that changes us there is somebody in this room that has not surrendered to the person and work the certainty of Christ that today would be the day of salvation God that you would convince them of their sin that you would convince them of their need for a substitute savior that you would convince them that that you are the certain one God would, would you save somebody from Luke 1 1 through 4 today would you be kind to do that? Draw their hearts, Lord. Overcome their resistance. I pray today they call on you and repent and trust in you for salvation. Lord Jesus, guide us. Holy Spirit, like a wind, blow through this room and blow through our hearts and conform us more to the image of the Son. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.